Beautiful, beautiful. Well, look at your person beside you and say, Happy or Merry Christmas Eve. Yes, amen. Christmas Eve, it's, it feels like we're in Florida, right? 50 degrees out. So, Rob, you came from Florida and the family. Good to see you guys. You brought the warm weather. I'm kind of happy, but a lot of people aren't. They wanted the snow, so, you know, just you better sneak out today. All right, get you for that. So is everybody doing good this morning? Everybody doing all right this morning? All right, y'all happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Amen. It's still a privilege in America to be able to come to the house of the Lord. A lot of people across the world can't do that. So it is a privilege that we are still a free country. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right, well, the last three weeks we have been talking about See the Savior. That's been our focus for all of December. And I would say that it's been a, it's been a good series. Um, and I hope today I say something that will just help you understand who the Savior really is and help you see him as the Savior. So the question is, what do we see when we see Jesus? And, uh, or as Pastor Rick said a couple weeks ago, what is our perception of Jesus when we see him? What's crazy to me is, is when I read the Bible and I look back and I read the Old Testament and then I read the New Testament, the people that surprise me the most is his own people, the Jews and the Jewish leaders. Why did not they see him as the Savior? I mean, they had it all together. Remember, God fully prepared the chosen people, his people, to wait and watch for their coming Messiah. We read about it all through the Old Testament. God raised up leaders and prophets who gave prophetic words of his coming. Did they not? Absolutely did. Also, there were signs and wonders and typologies and different kinds of patterns that God gave to his people to show them that he is coming. Be on watch because the Messiah is coming. All these things were meant to point them to their coming Messiah and to prepare them to recognize him when he does come. His own people. All this was for him, the Israelites. The prophecies about the coming of Jesus in the Old Testament are found and they are all fulfilled in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. And after Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden in the beginning, God wasted no time in coming up with a plan to get his people back, to restore them into relationship between God and man. Because remember, they were kicked out of the garden. Light and darkness have no fellowship with each other. It's over. So we couldn't commune with God. But he created us for relationship. But he also created us with free will. And their free will to go and do something they weren't supposed to cost them their life, their spiritual lives. And God wanted that restored. That's how much he loves us. Because he wants that relationship with us. So in the beginning, in Genesis 3.15, after Adam and Eve sinned, that was the first prediction of our Savior that was to come. And it says, and I will put enmity, that's open hostility, between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your heel, fatally, 
fatally. And you shall bruise his heel. You see, the serpent will bite the heel of the woman's seed. And who's the woman's seed? That was Jesus. And what did Jesus do when he died on the cross? Bam. He fatally wounded the devil. That means death no more had a sting. It was over. We now could have a relationship with Christ. And we know that he defeated him on the cross. Amen? Absolutely he did. Praise the Lord. So... There are over 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. And so as I go through them, I will probably be done about 2.33 today. So I hope the crock pot was set on low this morning when you left. So no, I'm not going to do all those. But I do want to come up and show you a couple different Old Testament prophecies that were confirmed in the New Testament. And before I do that, I want to say this. I don't want to bore you today, but there were several, I don't know how many, very, very smart mathematicians, world mathematicians. Some were Christian and some were not that all got together and they wanted to find out about these prophecies that the Bible talked about. And how could they really, how could a man knowing something thousands of years ago, how possible would it be really to be predicted into the future? And so a very long process had taken place. But I want to give it to you in a very short process so you understand these prophecies. They said that in order for even one prophecy to come to pass from thousands of years ago to today, the likelihood of a man or woman figuring this out would be to take the state of Texas. How many of you have lived in Texas? Anybody? Yeah. It's a pretty big place, yeah? It's huge. Take Texas and put quarters on the entire state of Texas. Quarters. Fill it with quarters. Take one quarter only and mark a black face on it. And stick it in with a pile of all those quarters that fill the entire state. And take a man and blindfold him. And set him somewhere in the state of Texas with all those quarters. And the likelihood of him... Picking up that one black quarter would be one and 150,000 zeros on the end of it. And yet, every single prophecy that was foretold in the Old Covenant has come to pass exactly how it was supposed to. Exactly. Listen, the Bible is real. Everything that it says is real. It does not contradict itself, as the world says. Everything in it is true. Everything in it is coming to pass. And what might be scary to some people, that every prophecy that God said would come to pass before Jesus comes and meets us in the air has been fulfilled. All we're waiting on now is his return. Woo! Wow. It's amazing. It's amazing. So, Micah. Let's go to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. This again was a prophecy in the Old Covenant. It says, but you, Bethlehem, yeah, you're Fratha. Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to, bear, to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Now, in Matthew, that was fulfilled because in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, 
In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So that prophecy was fulfilled. Eric read the Christmas story right there. You know, one thing that he forgot to mention in the Christmas story was when the wise men came and the two wise men had given the gold and frankincense, they were ready to turn away and go home. But a third wise man said, whoa, wait, but there's myrrh. That <laughs> took some of you. But wait, there's myrrh. Okay. Yeah, that's a, so it's a father joke, I guess. All right, for today. All right, ever, but, you, know. you know, and the other thing that I found out, too, when I was doing some research was when Jesus was born, he was eight pounds and two ounces. Now, Pastor Randy, how could you know that? Guys, it's simple. If you just dig into the scriptures, listen, there was a way in the manger. I mean, it's just... It's, it's, oh, okay. All right, back on track. I want to focus. Okay, sorry. All right. Old Covenant, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Again, in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Again, prophecy fulfilled. And then one more in Jeremiah 31, 31. It says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Again, that was fulfilled in Matthew, the 26th chapter, verse 28, where it says, Jesus said, for this is my blood of the what? The new covenant, which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. It happened. Everything, the impossible became possible. Impossible. Guys, we, you know, Florida has hurricanes. And yet they can see a hurricane. They can see it coming. And then they can say, you know what? It's going to be right here. Everybody get out of town fast. Everybody gets out of town. And the next thing you know, it doesn't even go there. It goes somewhere else. And we can see that hurricane. We have so many things and, and stuff these days so we can figure out where everything is. And they can't even figure out in three days where a hurricane's coming and we can see it. Yet, thousands of years of prophecy come to pass. Exactly how it was told. Woo, man, I'll make you shout a little bit. Thank the Lord Jesus. All right. So now in Luke, verse 4, chapter 16, I think we're going to read down to 21. Jesus is finally here. He is here in the flesh, born in a manger. And now at the age of 30 years old, it says, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. If those are anything that you have today, he is here for you. He is here to do those things, set you free in every area of your life. He is here today for you. And then it says he is here to proclaim the acceptable year 
of the Lord. Then it says that he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And all the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Just staring at him. He had everybody's attention. And I'm sure it was silent like it is in this room right now. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Whoo, almost gives me chills when he said that. Jesus is in the synagogue or he's in church like you and I are today in Nazareth. And he is reading from, again, Isaiah, the old covenant, 62, verse 1 and 2. And he is telling the Jews in the synagogue on Shabbat or the holy day or the day of rest, right? He's telling them on the Sabbath day that he, he, I am the fulfillment of what I just read in that specific Old Testament prophecy. That's phenomenal. He is saying, here I am to save the day, basically. That's what he's saying. If we had to bring it into today's terms, that's how I see it. Now listen, there should have been a celebration like no other celebration. There should have been parties and dancing and music. I mean, man, people should have been dancing their clothes off like David did. Because the King of Kings, our creator is here in the flesh right in front of them. I mean, it should have been, (gasps) wow. But none of that happened. Instead, what they did was take him to the edge of town and try to throw him off a cliff. Jeez. Good Lord. So the question again is, why didn't they see the Savior? Right in front of them, all the prophecies fulfilled. Him standing up and reading about himself. Mm-mm-mm. But here's the deal. Not only did they have the prophecies, but they had their rituals that they had to do every year to remind them of his coming and remind them of what he has done for them. Every year for hundreds or maybe even thousands of years, there was the Feast of Passover, and then which called uh, for the sacrifice of the pure lambs. One lamb every year per family had to be sacrificed. The sacrifice first took place right before the 10th plague in Egypt when all the firstborn um, were killed. It says in Exodus 12, 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute my judgment. Remember, the Jews were still slaves and Pharaoh would not let them go. But that night, they took a pure spotless lamb, killed it, and put its blood on the side posts and on the lentils above their homes. Then when the angel of death came to kill the firstborn of the gods of Egypt, their homes would be passed over because of the blood. Their firstborn would live. This Levitical sacrificial system was God-ordained and was repeated yearly in remembrance of what God had done in sparing their firstborn because of that blood on those doors. 
Again, when Jesus showed up in person on the 10th day of the month of Nisan, I don't know if you sell that, but that is actually the first month of the Jewish calendar. That day in which the Passover lamb was selected, Jesus presented himself as the lamb of God and rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. We grew up with it. Jesus riding in and we had all the branches and we're saying, Hosanna in the highest. Yeah, you remember that as kids. That's right. He did that himself. And you can find that prophecy in Zechariah 9, chapter 9, and verse 9. The spotless lambs were inspected for four days in the Old Covenant to determine they were pure and worthy of sacrifice. Well, guess what? Jesus was challenged and tested for four days by the Pharisees and the other rulers before his crucifixion. Isn't that crazy? And Pontius Pilate himself said, I find no wrong in this man. Wow, the similarities and things were amazing. So they should have seen Jesus as the Savior. But here's the thing, guys. Jesus came in as a baby in a manger and lived a very humble life. And the Jews were looking for a man, a Messiah, an anointed one who would lead them and liberate them. That's what they were looking for. When Jesus began to preach, it was one of love for all and humble service. Come on, what kind of king wants to be humble and wants to serve? Every king wants to be served, right? Oh, not Jesus, no. They were looking for one who would conquer not for a suffering servant who would die. It's weak. That's weakness. They were looking for the line of the tribe of Judah who would reign as king, not the lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Weren't looking for that at all. They were looking for Messiah, son of David. He was to be king from the tribe of Judah, the line of Judah. They missed Messiah, son of Joseph. Wow, the suffering servant who would forgive the sins of his brethren and restore his relationship with them, like we just talked about. They were only looking for a coming king who would free them from Roman oppression, not a Passover lamb who would free them from the bondage of their sin. No wonder they didn't see him as the Savior. It's crazy. So now I want you to go to Matthew, the 16th chapter. Matthew, the 16th chapter. And Jesus was obviously preaching and healing people all over Israel. And uh, he had made it up to the northern part of Israel. I put a map up here to a region called Caesarea Philippi. You can see it way up there on the north. You see Jerusalem way, way, way down there. So from Jerusalem to Caesarea Philippi, it would take somewhere like 49 hours to walk it. Okay, good thing there's no winter there. It would take five and a half hours by bus or two and a half hours by car. I tried to look and see how far it would take with a donkey. I couldn't find it. So 
or camel. I, I, I looked everywhere. Good fight. But now you see there where the Sea of Galilee is, if some of you can see that close. Uh, it's 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee, Caesarea Philippi. So Jesus is up there in that region. And that was a very paganistic area. So a lot of people would go up there and they would sacrifice and pray and worship to false gods, pagan gods. And up in that area was a god named Pan. And this is what he looks like. Really ugly looking thing, I guess. Um, they worshiped this thing. He was a half god and half goat. And a lot of pictures show him with a flute in his hand like you see right there. He was also called the god of fright. I guess you can see why. Why would you want to worship something like that? I don't know. But he was a cave god. And there was a cave at the base of Mount Hermon called the Grotto of Pan. The Grotto of Pan. And water flowed from it to the Jordan River. And it was the center of the pagan worship up there. And the people thought that the water led straight down to hell. And so what they would do is, is they would take their animals and they would, they would take their live animals and they would throw them into the pit and they would pray and, and worship and sacrifice those animals for anything you can imagine. Uh, better crops, a good yield, um, you know, fertility, children, whatever they wanted to, that's what they would do to this God in that grotto, in that hole right there, which is absolutely crazy. So there was also a temple area built, and there's a picture of this temple area built, and it was an open-air sanctuary, and it was built for Pan next to the source of water that exited into the Jordan River. This became a monster city with this deal. And what amazes me is how somebody can just sit down and come up with this false name of Pan and then build this ridiculous-looking statue, half man, half goat, with a flute and horns, call his name Fright, and expect people to actually worship this thing. Unbelievable. Man-made, it doesn't exist, it's not real, everything's completely made up, and yet they built a city around it and worshipped it and sacrificed to it. Mm-mm-mm. Caesar Augustus gave that region to Herod the Great. He was the very bad king that Pastor Tim talked about the first time who actually murdered his wife and at least three of his kids because he felt threatened that they were going to take his kingdom. Well, he gave that, um, that, that piece of land to his son, and his name was Philip, okay? And, of course, he named the region after Caesar and himself, of course, Philip. Therefore, Caesarea Philippi was the name of that whole region. And I, I say all this because I want you to see a picture of what Jesus was doing here. Caesar demanded to be worshipped. I mean, what other emperor doesn't demand to be worshipped? All right? And remember the story of King Nebuchadnezzar? You know, he built this monster statue of himself and demanded people to worship him. And if not, they threw them in the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, I ain't doing it. Well, if you didn't call these emperors, kings, gods, or rulers, or worship them, then really bad things can happen to you. And in this situation, Philip the Tetrarch, son of King Herod, he was a very bad king, like father, like son. And he 
was actually the first Jewish king to even put his face on a quarter or a dime or whatever. That's his face right there. He was just that crazy to do that. But if you didn't call him Lord or God when he asked you who he was, bad things could happen to you. He would throw you in the lion's den, which we know that happened to Daniel. Um, you would get hot rods pressed against different parts of your body. Uh, you could get, um, let's see, uh, stretched on a rack. Yes, you get stretched on a rack. That sounds fun. Let's see, you get your eyes gouged out. Uh, there was lots of other things that would happen to you, but I'm not going to mention them because this is about a story and Christmas and a little baby, so we won't go there. But you had to worship these guys. You had to tell them they were God, they were Lord when they asked you to. So Jesus, who isn't in Kansas anymore, Toto, he's way up there, out of Jerusalem, where people don't know him, where he's not being worshipped and followed and praised for what he's doing, He's way up in this area, way out of his league, in this paganistic area, and he is actually talking to his disciples. I guess you could say he asked them a question. And in Matthew 16, 13, he said to his disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Knowing where he was. They all knew what these gods and kings thought. In this environment, he asked this type of question. In other words, I think he was probably asking the children of Israel, so what's, uh, what's everybody saying on the dirt roads, bro? You know, he, he was probably in the pagan hood. I would say that if Pastor Rick was here today. Yeah, he's probably in the pagan hood. What's going on? What are they saying about me? Because, you know, everybody has an opinion about Jesus. Even today, they do. And what did the Bible say? It says that some of them <clears throat> said, oh, well, you might be John the Baptist. People say that you're uh, Elijah or others, Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. You know, those were, those were great. That sounds wonderful. Those are some big names, big top names. I'd be proud to be called those kind of people. But here's the deal. Jesus really isn't interested in what the world thinks about him. He doesn't care what TikTok or social media is saying about him. He doesn't. Jesus isn't interested in what your teachers or your professors at school say or think about him. Even the perspective of your pastor. I don't feel Jesus really is concerned about that. No. As you sit here today looking at that little manger... He is asking you and I the same question that he asked thousands of years ago. In verse 15, it went from impersonal to a very personal question. But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see, when you see the baby in a manger, you also have to see this picture as well. We took communion today, all because of what he did right here. You have the baby, and you have this. You can't see one without the other. 
It's impossible to see one without the other. Philip the Tetrarch put his face on a coin. What did Jesus say? When you've seen me, you've seen my father. Philip the Tetrarch was trying to build a monster city that would be bigger than any other city that everybody in the nation would like. It's undisputed. I've got it all. Jesus wasn't building a city. What was Jesus building? An eternal kingdom. That's what he's still building. And he wants you and I to be a part of that kingdom. That's what he came for. And the Jews, well, the Jews couldn't see what was right in front of them. In the flesh. It was all being played out in real time. And they either couldn't see it or they refused to see him as the Savior. It's one or the other. So my question to you today is this. When you see Jesus, who do you see? Do you see him as a threat? Like King Herod saw him as a threat, want to take over his kingdom? Do you see him as a threat to your lifestyle? The way you live and want to live? Do you see him maybe as a scary judge? A lot of people see that. Maybe just a historical figure. Do you see him as a fictional made-up character? Or do you see him as a prophet, a teacher, a Jewish leader, perhaps? Or maybe to you, he is just an idea. And if he's just an idea, you can do anything you want. And it doesn't matter. Nobody can tell you what to do. So who is he to you as you're sitting here? There were 25,000 teenagers, and they were asked the same question. Who do you see Jesus as when you see him? 46% said a person offering hope to people. It's pretty good. 43% of those teenagers said oh, a caring person. Oh, that's, that's nice. But here's the deal. Only 23% of those 25,000 teenagers saw him as the Savior and someone they could have a personal relationship with. That's very sad, and that's scary. That's our future generations being raised up in this world. They're missing it, just like his own people missed it. Here's the deal. If you want to see Jesus, you have to follow. First, you have to be objective and follow the evidence. Listen, that evidence will take you to his birth. They'll take you through his life. Take you through Calvary. Take you to his death and resurrection. It's all in there. Even historical figures that weren't saved, they weren't Christians, talk about Jesus all the time. The evidence is there. You just have to find it. Because believing in God must lead to a commitment to God. Or it does you nothing. For the devils believe and they tremble. Knowing about Jesus is different than having an intimate relationship. 
with Jesus as well. To know him, to know him is to love him. To know him is to obey him, obey his commandments. To know him is to serve him and let him lead you instead of you leading him and only letting him in parts of your life, the parts that you only want. He sees everything. He knows everything about you. He created you. So why don't you let him in? You don't even know how many hairs you have on your own head, but he does. <laughs> it's true. It's what the Bible says. It all starts with you believing that you are lost and have sinned and believing God came in human form to pay a debt that you and I could never, ever pay. That's where it all starts. He absorbed the debt that you and I owed by letting himself being nailed to that cross. Sinless man, spotless lamb being slaughtered on that tree so you and I could have an eternal life and a relationship with him while we're still on this earth. Isaiah 9, 6 says, unto us a child is born. Us, that's you and me. Unto us a child is given. That's to you and me, nobody else. He came for us. He came for you. Friday, Nicole and I had lunch at uh, Cracker, not Cracker Barrel, but Texas Roadhouse. They're only open for lunch on Fridays, so I went there. Took my wifey on a little date, cheap date, and uh, we were shopping. And we got ready to pay for our meal, and the lady said, oh, it's been taken care of. And I said, what? Yeah, it's been taken care of. Somebody paid for your meal. What? No way. You're kidding. Man, when that stuff happens, you feel good on the inside. I mean, you know that. You guys, that's happened to a lot of you. Hopefully everybody at one point in time. Man, it feels good. You feel all gooey on the inside. You know, it's like you want to go, you look around the restaurant. Where, where, where are they? I want to go give a hug. Say thank you. You didn't have to do that. It was so kind of you. That's what we want to do. I mean, as good as that feels, how good does it feel knowing Jesus came to earth and paid a debt that you and I could never pay? Ever. No matter what we did or try to do. Wow. That's, that's a real gift. Salvation is the best gift you will ever get your entire life. I don't care if you get a Maserati. It's going to get old. When you have to pay the $2,000 for the oil change, you're going to want to sell it. But this gift never gets old. All you have to do is reach out and accept it. You must see him as the Savior. Nicole, come here. Come up here with me, please, honey. <laughs> you look feel good today. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm asking you today, we are asking you today, how many of you would reach out, just reach out and accept that free gift that's amazing, that will change your life forever this morning? If you've never, ever received Jesus as your Savior, now's the time. But everybody stand up. Just stand up. Stand up with me today. The Lord told me that there's somebody in here today. If you look at your hands, they're sweating already and you're nervous. 
when I was writing this and praying, the Lord said, there's somebody out there, told me this two days ago, their hands are sweating, they're nervous, that's you. He wants you to accept that free gift today. Nicole and I are down here because we just want to be with you and we want to give you a big hug and help you accept that gift. So if that's you and your hands are sweating, just rub them on your pants or skirt or dress and come down here right now. We want to pray with you and we want you to be a part of this amazing family and anybody else, anybody else that's out there that want that free gift. Amen. You already know. You feel it. If that's you, come on down. If you need to come down with somebody, come on down. I'm not taking forever. If you want to, you want to. If you don't, it's okay. We're going on. Anybody at all? And while I'm still talking, if that was you, get your sweaty palms down here. Listen, that's God telling you something. He's calling you. He knows. Come on, bro. Amen. Is your palms sweaty? Oh, whoa. Yes, they are. They're absolutely sweaty. Was there anybody else? Anybody else at all? Here's the deal, guys. If you're not ready, it's okay. It's okay. You don't really come to church. It's okay. But here's what I want you not to do. I want you not to not come back until next year. I mean, Christmas of next year. Come back next year. It's a week away. But if you're not ready to receive Jesus, you're not sure, it's okay. Start coming to church every week. Start coming on Wednesdays. Start coming on Sundays. Find God. Listen, when you find God, you will find freedom. You will find freedom. It's only in God. And then when you find freedom, you will discover your purpose. You will find out what God wants for you in your life. And when you discover that, you'll be able to make a difference in somebody else's life. You'll be able to pay for somebody else's meal. And man, will it feel good. But in a spiritual way. So when you leave here today, don't just say, well, no, I, man, I just ain't ready. Start coming. We have small groups in February, starting up in February again. Great groups to talk about anything you want to talk about. Start making a commitment just to come back to the house of God. All right, anybody else? Okay. This month, I had to bury a two-month-old little girl. And I had to bury a 69-year-old man. Had a massive heart attack, and he was dead before he hit the ground. You may not have tomorrow. It's not promised to tomorrow. Those are two horrible funerals that we had to go to this week, or this month, and do. So this is it. Anybody else? Okay. All right, bro. Yeah, it's okay. We love you. We love you, man. Mm. Are you ready to pray? Everybody just pray this. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you today as a sinner. As a sinner. Headed straight for hell. Headed straight for hell. But Lord, I thank you that you sent your son. you sent your son. The greatest gift of all. The greatest gift of all. To die for me. Die for me on the cross. On the cross. 
to take a debt I could never pay. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me of my sins. In Jesus' name. Now help me and guide me. I thank you that I am yours. I give you praise today for it. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Love you, buddy. Love you. All right. Tonight, I know most of you probably won't be here. That's okay. You chose the morning service tonight. It's 6 p.m. Of course, we have our candlelight service. It'll pretty much be the same service, but we'll have lots of uh, food, I guess, right? Desserts and snacks and cookies and whatever in our candlelight service at 6. So if you're not going to be here, that's okay. We want to wish you, Nicole. Why'd you go come back over here? Jeez. No. Yeah, I know. Pastor Nicole and I and Pastor Phyllis, we just we want to wish you guys a very Merry Christmas. Right. Um, and then we're going to just pray and bless you guys here right. as you leave today. Father, we come before you and God, I just bless this congregation. I bless these people. I pronounce blessing, Father, over their homes. God, over their families, their extended families that are even here today as well. And God, I just thank you so much. That, Lord God, everywhere they put their feet, God, they will prosper. Everything they put their hands to will prosper. Everywhere they go, everybody that sees them, they will see the light, your light, in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you. I thank you that their, their families are saved, they're healed, they're set free, they're delivered. I thank you for favor everywhere they go. Every foot that they take a step in, favor will follow them. You will follow them. In Jesus' name, God, thank you for safe trips to their families, wherever they're going for this holiday. I thank you that you'll be with them. Angels, go before them. Thank you for the blood. We plead the blood over their lives and over their families' lives as well. We give you praise for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you tonight at 6. Maybe not.